The National Broadcasting Company presents The Big Show. Hey everyone, this is Mindy. Thanks for listening to another episode of Old Time Radio. Next up on The Big Show, we're at episode 38. This one aired December 9th, 1951, and wanted to highlight a trio of performers here that I I'm, don't believe we're going to hear again, and it may actually be the first time I think all three of these have been here. Starting off with Robert Cummings, he's an actor in film and TV, and you absolutely would have probably heard of The Devil and Miss Jones, Princess O'Rourke, and Hitchcock, Salvatore, and Dial M for Murder. So the man is not without some acting credentials uh, that we all would know today. I just don't feel like his name struck out to me as somebody that maybe is really well known by today's audiences. So just looking through his history even was kind of hard. There wasn't a whole lot to go with, but here's where he hits the history books. Learned to fly in high school. And when the government issued flight instructor licenses, the number on his flight instructor license was one. He was the first official instructor in the United States, which was a far cry from giving $5 flights in his hometown when he learned how to fly in high school. It was a different time. (laughs) I don't think I would let a high school kid fly me around in what would have been probably, what, the 30s. Um, But that's how it was back then. So another piece of history for him was he was one of the co-hosts for ABC's live broadcast of Disneyland's opening in July 1955. His other co-stars were Ronald Reagan and Art Linkletter. Robert was there to be the eye candy, the, the playboy, and they played up on that image, but was also part of another historic event in entertainment this time. So moving on, we have Anne Southern. She, of course, is an actress most people that like older movies. No, she had a six-decade-long career in stage, radio, film, and TV. Hit pay dirt in 1939 when she was cast as Maisie Ravier about a Brooklyn showgirl. It was a huge success, spawned film series and a network radio series. was actually developed for Jean Harlow, who unfortunately died before a final script was ever written for the final version of the, sh- the first movie. And Southern had that charm the looks, the humor, the talent to really bring all of those qualities that Jean Harlow was celebrated for into this role, as well as making it her own. And then in 1953, she again hit on something that would become more of an iconic role for her in Private Secretary on CBS. She got three Emmy Award nominations for that role. Uh, 1958 to 1961, she actually had her own show, The Southern Show, which again just one of many people that get featured in the big show that got their chance at their own show in some iteration in early TV when they were trying to fill the slots. (laughs) And 1965-66, voice of My Mother, the Car. Called the best comedian in the business bar none by her best friend, Lucille Ball, who best friends are biased, but Lucille Ball tipping her hat that is normally given to her in her era, tipping it to her friend Anne Southern says a lot. But not content to just be that, uh, Anne was a Renaissance woman. She was a trained pianist and vocalist. She opened a sewing company in Sun Valley, Idaho, which just sounds so cute and hallmarky. She also owned a cattle ranch in Idaho, and she owned her own production company, much like unto her best friend Lucille Ball. 
So Anne was an interesting woman of her day. And so we'll end the trio with Jean Carroll. Jean Carroll was a comedian, born Sadie Zygmunt, which if that sounds Jewish, it is. <laughs> She's very much a celebrated pioneer of the female uh, Jewish comedian. You know, it's it's got a rich history, but it a lot of that started with Jean Carroll, and she is recognized for that. Back in her day, Sadie Zygmunt was not a name that got you the, the proper attention uh, in the entertainment industry. So she changed her name because of anti-Semitism, which is unfortunate. Uh, by age 12, made enough money to start supporting her family of five. Like that, like her, she came from a poor family. Her father apparently had issues with alcohol. And Jean Carroll was the breadwinner at 12. Um, again, a different time. <laughs> Only different time. She began her career really as part of a comedy dance team, Carolyn Howe. This was, of course, into adulthood. Uh, her husband was a vaudevillian and acrobatic dancer named Buddy Howe. And so they, you know, in her adult life, that's where she kind of started in entertainment. But he was drafted into World War II. So many of these stories have this interruption. And so what happened was she pivoted into a solo act while he was gone. And much to his credit, he was very supportive of her. And when he came back, he saw the solo act and was like, it's better without me and supported her writing. He became the manager instead of the co-star and really just pushed her career as much as he could from from the, the back. That speaks a lot, I think, to his character and probably the love that he had for his wife. Um, she ended up appearing on the Ed Sullivan Show 29 times. She had a short-lived The Jean Carroll Show from 1953 to 1954. And her legacy, though, like I mentioned in the beginning, is she's credited as the first Jewish stand-up comedian, female, and a pioneer of the stand-up comedy format, generally, both male and female. She really was one of the very first to do it. And a lot of her popularity rested on she was authentic and glamorous. Uh, she did not play into the stereotypes of like that nagging Jewish mother and wife that a lot of her male counterparts were doing at the time. She really just played her life straight as who she was and like a friend is what a lot of the reviews of her shows were like. It was like going in listening to your friend talk. And so audiences loved it and that's what they responded to. In November 2006, she was honored by the Friars Club and that was hosted by Lily Tomlin who lists Jane Carroll as one of her inspirations. Joan Rivers, Joy Behar also credit her for a lot of the influence and in how they developed their own comedy careers. And as recently as the last couple of years, The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, it was an Amazon streaming show, won a huge amount of awards and respect, critical acclaim, and the actress who played that title character in part based her character on Jane Carroll. So when you talk about you know, the big show and all of these different people that kind of cross paths in this one moment of time. You have such an interesting mix of people here. And, you know, you can rattle off the names and be like, yeah, of course, they'd all be there. But if you think about their stories and how they all wound up on the big show and how they found their fame and what their legacies are, it's always so interesting to see how it all intersects in retrospect. So... Robert Cummings, Gene Carroll, Ann Southern, and a whole mess of other celebrities and entertainers, as always, from December 9th, 1951. This is The Big Show. The National Broadcasting Company presents The Big Show, 
The first half hour presented by the makers of Reynolds Aluminum, the Reynolds Metals Company, and starring the glamorous, unpredictable Tallulah Bankhead. For the next hour and 30 minutes, you will be entertained by some of the biggest names in show business. Such bright stars as Eddie Arnold, Jane Carroll, Robert Cummings, Ed Archie Garner, Hildegard, and Savage, Meredith Wilson, and my name, darlings, is Tallulah Bankhead. <laughs> Darlings, this is the time of year when your friends start hinting about what they'd like for Christmas. Everybody around me has been hinting. Even my little dog, Dolores, she's been hinting. I take her with me, you know, when I go Christmas shopping. She gets so excited in all the stores, I just can't curb her enthusiasm. <laughs> I, uh, I finally uh, brought her a book for Christmas, Bulldog Drummond. <laughs> and speaking of hints, I do a little hinting myself. I always tell my friends that anything they give me under $2 is cheap, and anything they, anything they give me over $2,000 is vulgar. I have the least vulgar friends of anybody in the world. <laughs> They're always asking questions like, uh, what size glove do you wear? <laughs> or what size stockings do you wear? Or what size nail polish do you take? <laughs> I have yet to hear anybody ask me, what's your yacht size? <laughs> but I know one place where I'm going to do some pretty tall hinting. That's with our darling sponsor, the Reynolds Metals Company. I'm going to hint for a beautiful chinchilla wrap. I'll even settle for some of that aluminum wrap. Reynolds, of course. How about it, darling sponsor? You know, Miss Bankhead, it's amazing to think of all you can wrap in aluminum. For instance, you can wrap your Christmas turkey in aluminum to roast it with more flavor and more meat. Or you can, so to speak, wrap a house in aluminum and keep it much warmer in winter cooler in summer. For the turkey, of course, what you use is Reynolds Wrap, the original and genuine, the pure aluminum foil, especially made for cooking and kitchen use. And for your house, the thing to use is Reynolds aluminum foil insulation that reflects radiant heat. Just consider a moment. You buy cream cheese and yeast and dehydrated soups protected in Reynolds aluminum packaging. And yet Reynolds aluminum, as a strong structural metal, makes the spires and spandrels of skyscrapers, the windows of modern homes, the rust-proof roofing and siding of farms and factories. You know, there really seems to be no limit to the age of aluminum. Reynolds Aluminum. Well, darlings, Here's a little behind-the-scenes item. I have a guest book back in my dressing room, and every week I ask our stars to write a little something in my book. Uh, those of them who can write, of course. <laughs> it's sentimental, I know, but it's so nice to have a little memento of the lovely weekend we all spend together. Especially since by the time the show is over, none of us is speaking. 
Uh, last week, for instance, George Sanders was on the show and he left this tired little inscription. It went like this. Sweetheart, if you should stray a million miles away, good. <laughs> and then he wrote, uh, if I should come to your fair city, I'll probably be on your show again. Pity. <laughs> Boar. And now uh, let's take a look at what the guests on this week's show wrote. Robert Cummings, for instance, inscribed this thing to me. To be on this program, you made it quite clear, is a very important showing. But after two days with you, my dear, I'm not sure if I'm Cummings or going. <laughs> yeah. Isn't he a wonderful poet? You've probably read other things that he's written on fences. <laughs> I turn the page and I find something written by another guest, Anne Southern. Whatever you wear, be it dresses or slacks, better rush to the tailor who clothes you. You can rest well assured with me on the show. There'll be plenty of Southern exposure. <laughs> southern exposure, indeed. Oh, I see what she means. She seceded from that dress. Oh. Well, um, here's another signature, Eddie Arnold. Some people say Tallulah is cold. Who says that is a liar? She may be off her trolley, but she's a streetcar named Desire. <laughs> That's what I like about this lad. <laughs> well, here's the next page, my very dear friend, Hildegard. I used to be on radio, too, and then you were my guest, Tallulah. I recall you sang, I'll be seeing you, and they canceled my show without further ado. <laughs> Darling, je vous aime beaucoup. I hope I can do the same for you. <laughs> Isn't she, darling? Hildegard comes from Wisconsin, you know. A lot of fine cheese comes from Wisconsin. <laughs> and now, as I turn another dreary page, I find an inscription from one of the permanent inmates. I mean, guest, uh, Meredith Wilson. My name is Meredith Wilson. I'm the leader of the band. We are not only large in numbers, but we're the best band in the land. We can play for any singer with our brasses, winds, and strings. But one thing we can't hide at all is the way Tallulah sings. I wonder what Phil Spitonley is doing these days. <laughs> Next page, Jean Carroll. This is my first time on this show. I feel my life is in peril. If I should get too many laughs, she'll tell me to blow. And it's Merry Christmas, Carol. <laughs> what a cowardly thing to write, Happy Noel, coward. And now we turn another page. Oh, this one's signed with an X. Ah, of course, that must be Ed Archie Gardner. Talu, taloi, tali, talo. <laughs> talo, tala, tali. No matter how you slice it, you're just like a father to me. <laughs> That's my idiot son who said that. <laughs> Well, I usually sign a little something myself after all the guests have signed it. May I read it? I'd like to know who's going to stop me. <laughs> to all my guests who signed this pad, I have but one thing more to add. You can say what you like, but it's nice to know. In an hour and a half, you'll be last week's show. <laughs> and now, with no rhyme and with less reason, the orchestra and chorus will give us a number. The song Domino, a colorful continental waltz in the spirit of the holiday scene. Meredith, darling, if you please. Domino, 
Orchestra, Chorus, and Meredith Wilson. And now let's go places with the Reynolds Metals Company and Reynolds Aluminum. Yes, Miss Bankhead, whenever and however you travel, you'll be going places with Reynolds Aluminum. For light, strong aluminum makes more efficient vehicles that go farther on less fuel. Safer, more economical, and longer-lasting because aluminum cannot rust. That's why tomorrow's automobile designs call for more and more aluminum. More aluminum for streamlined trains, for buses and trucks and trailers. Of course, the transport and fighting planes of our skyways are mostly aluminum, as everyone knows. But it may surprise you to know that the Navy has all aluminum PT boats, and that the great new ocean liner United States has four million pounds of aluminum in its construction. Yes, on land and sea and in the air, Reynolds Aluminum is going places. When you see today's small children being wheeled along in aluminum strollers, you can take it as a symbol. The future of transportation is with aluminum more and more. If you take a trip over the holidays, look for the gleam of the modern metal. Much of it by Reynolds, one of America's great producers of aluminum. One of our guests on this week's program is a famous funny man who for years did a radio show in New York, then Hollywood, and for the past few years has been in Puerto Rico, living off the fat of the land. 
He's the head of Duffy's Tavern. So here he is, the fathead himself, Ed Archie Gardner. <laughs> Well, thanks for the encomiums, Tallulah That's what I always like about you You know, you're such a good-natured slob <laughs> How come I ain't seen you down at Duffy's lately? You ain't ate there since you had dinner three months ago Where you been getting your food since then? Intravenously <laughs> Eating on the arm, huh? Last time you was there, you got away so fast you left something, so I brought it for you. Oh, darling, how sweet you brought my stomach. <laughs> oh, it's the bill. I know that you didn't mean to skip out. Well, of course but... I didn't mean to walk out without paying. Why didn't you ask me when I'd finished eating? Well, you know, with all the excitement of you being there and with the ambulance coming and <laughs> you laying there on a the stretcher. <laughs> I didn't think that was the time to bother you about a bill, so then I brought it to the hospital the next day, you know, but you was laying in there in that oxygen tent, you know. I didn't think that was the propitiousest time to uh, present it, so I thought I'd get you sometime when you wasn't doing anything. Like on this show. Well, with you on the show, there's nothing going on. How much is the bill? Well, it comes to exactly $3.30. $3.30? What's the 30 cents for? That's for the meal. <laughs> Get there, didn't you? 30 cents for that meal? Well, yes, for the best in the house, didn't you? What's the $3 for? That's the cover charge. <laughs> oh, yes, they did cover me over when they carried me out. <laughs> okay, I'll pay you off the show. Well, tell me, Archie, how's the gang down at Duffy's? How's Clancy the cop? Oh, Clancy the cop, he's fine. Things got kind of hot for him now, so... Went to South America. Oh, what's he doing there? He's a policeman down there. Oh, still in business for himself. Uh -huh. <laughs> well, how about Miss Duffy? Is she betrothed yet? Oh, I hope not. She ain't even married yet. Oh, <laughs> uh, and how about that stupid one? You know the one, that idiot one. You know, the moron. Uh, 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 you mean Finnegan? Uh-huh. He's in the State Department now. <laughs> Two-top Gruskin. Oh, uh, two-top. You mean a baseball pitcher we got with the two heads? Yes, the pitcher with two heads. Yes, the pitcher with two heads. That's one for each head. <laughs> a pitcher with two heads, indeed. You seem incredible. But it's funny how we got him, you know? Uh, uh, Duffy was having trouble with our baseball team, you know, the D-A-A-I-Y. I hesitate to ask this, but what's the D-A-A-I-Y? Duffy's All-American Irish Yankees. Down south where I come from, there's a D that goes in front of Yankees. Yeah. Well, uh, anyway, one day, uh, Tallulah, uh, Duffy, who's the manager of the club, you know, he says to Dogan, a shortstop, he says, Dogan, we've got a great ball club here, but I'm afraid it likes color. What's the answer? So Dogan says, color, huh? Well, this may not be it, Duffy, but I think I know where I can lay my hands on a pitcher with two heads. So Duffy says, a pitcher with two heads, huh? I don't know, Dugan, you think it'd be a novelty? Well, Dugan says, well, what if it ain't? You can't pass up a guy that can watch first base and third base at the same time. <laughs> so Duffy says, yeah, that might be an angle. <laughs> Besides, the guy will be great for double headers. <laughs> so Duffy says, uh, where's the guy from, Dugan? So Dugan says, uh, he's from Walla Walla, naturally. So... I remember the night he walked into the tavern for the first time, right after he got out of the army. 
had a little trouble getting into the army, of course. They thought he was a little too short. <laughs> but they finally took him in. You see, the army doctor examined him, and the, the army doctor took the medical report into the colonel. Funny thing, the colonel looked at the report, and he says, let me see here, uh, too top Gruskin. He looks at this report, too top Gruskin. Eyes, black and blue. <laughs> Hair, blonde and brunette. Teeth, all and none. <laughs> Mustache, yes and no. <laughs> so the colonel says, doctor, this guy sounds like he's got two heads. So the doctor says, yeah. So the colonel says, oh. So they took him in. <laughs> of course, the two heads was a bit of a handicap in the army, you know. Saluting was a bit of a problem. <laughs> but the main trouble was one head couldn't get no sleep. <laughs> they made the other head the bugler. <laughs> so anyways, I said, I remember the first time he walked into the tavern, this guy, all dressed up formal in a tuxedo, you know, to sign his contract. So everybody in the joint started staring at him. So... Uh, Two top turns the crowd, he says, what are you staring at? None of you guys ever see a tuxedo before? <laughs> Thank you. And, uh, so, uh, at any rate, uh, Duffy's a diplomat, see? So he quick covers the embarrassment. He says, waiter, bring this gentleman a couple of beers. <laughs> Is this stuff too subtle? <laughs> 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 so, uh... So anyway, Duffy says, stick around, Totop. There's a masquerade going, around, going on here tonight. Maybe you'll win a prize, you know? The funny thing the guy did. <laughs> <laughs> yep, he won first prize. He came as a pair of bookends. <laughs> With this little book between his two heads, a book his mother gave him called My Son, My Son. <laughs> Well, uh, at any rate, Duffy says, Look, Two-Top, I'm a man of few words. Report tomorrow morning. There's a uniform and two caps waiting for you in the locker room. <laughs> uh, but a funny thing, Two-Top didn't get along very well with the rest of the ball players, you know, especially with Gorilla Hogan, our catcher. Natural-born catcher, stands six feet, 14 inches high, and he squats standing up. <laughs> so the trouble starts right off in the first game. You see, the Gorilla signals for a fast curve. So the two-headed guy nods one head yes and shakes the other head no, <laughs> which is very confusing to the gorilla, you know. He ain't a very bright guy anyhow, even for a gorilla. So he throws down his glove and he goes over and he squawks to Duffy. So Duffy says, don't get excited, gorilla. Go out there and talk it over with the guy. After all, three heads is better than one. <laughs> but the gorilla says, no use, Duffy. It ain't no use. I just got a feeling that the guy ain't quite normal. Besides, I don't trust him. You notice how he's always got them two heads together? <laughs> First thing you know, you're going to have a strike on your hands. <laughs> no, said Duffy, one of us will have to go and don't forget who owns the baseball. Well, so Duffy naturally had to fire to tap, and it was kind of sad, you know, the way the lumps come up in his throats when <laughs> Duffy told him he had to go, but... I guess he got over it all right. The last time I heard of him, he was back at his old job watching tennis matches for Pathé News. <laughs> thank you, thank you, Archie Archie. Well, we finally found a novelty on this show. A story of a two-headed man told by a man with no head at all. 
But now we come to a story told by two heads. But fortunately, they're on separate bodies. These two stars are two of Hollywood's most heavenly bodies, Anne Southern and Robert Cummings. They're starring on Broadway this season in a delightful comedy, Faithfully Yours, by Earl Bushfegarty and Mary Helen Fay. Tonight on the big show, we bring you an excerpt from the play, with Anne Southern as Vivian Harding and Robert Cummings as Thomas O. Harding. There's a great deal to be said about men like Thomas O. Harding, and his wife, Vivian, is ready to say it. My husband's name is Thomas O. Harding. The O stands for Obadiah. Before he was born, his mother went to Cape Cod and found it on a tombstone. It's a very strange name, and Tom's a very strange man. Well, aren't they all? I mean, men are creatures of habit. I guess maybe women are creatures of habit, too. We have a habit of marrying creatures. You know, I wonder if men realize how awfully peculiar they are. I think they should all be forced to go to a psychoanalyst. Now, take Tom, for instance. It's Saturday night, so he's gone down to the corner to buy the Sunday papers, although he has them delivered in the morning. He's a very impatient man. That's one of his complexes. You hear that? That's the elevator that comes up here to our penthouse apartment, and that'll be Tom. We went to the theater tonight to see the cocktail party by T.S. Eliot. I adored it, and Tom hated it. All the way home, we argued in the taxi. Oh, he's so contrary. We see a play every Saturday night. Tom's a very methodical man. Everything's reduced to kind of a schedule. If you're married, you'll understand what I mean. And if you're not married, you'll see what I mean, because here he is now. Julian, where are you? Right here. Oh, there's my baby. I got the paper. What do you have to drink, dear? Oh, nothing for me, darling. But, sweetheart, it's Saturday night. Yes, I know. Well, when we left the theater, you said you wanted a drink. Well, not at home. But dear, we always have a drink at home. Yes, I know. Tom, mm? do you ever feel that you've been reduced to the status of an object? An object, dear? Mm. Uh, no, never. I give you my word of honor, never. I mean a living object, and no longer a person. Oh, really, baby, you know you have far too vivid an imagination. What do you mean? Well, whenever we see a show, you throw yourself into every character. Oh, I do not. Well, after Romeo and Juliet, you were starry-eyed day and night. Oh. When we came home from Lucretia Borgia, I was afraid to drink the highball you mixed. <laughs> and, of course, after Joan of Arco, that was great. I fell out of place around here without a suit of armor. Well... Even though you didn't like the play, you must admit the psychoanalysis. Look, do you know what Carl Krauss said? No. Who's he? A Viennese. A psychiatrist? No, 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 no. He's just a Viennese. They're not all psychiatrists, you know. No. They have carpenters, grocers, plumbers, architects, everything over there, just the same as here. Oh. Carl Krauss happened to be a writer, dear. Oh. And what did he have to say? He said, uh, psychoanalysis is that mental disease for which it claims to be the cure. Oh, he did. <laughs> mm -hmm. Almost 11.30, isn't it? Yes, mm. I know. Oh, darling, how about a game of chess? A game of chess at 11.30 on Saturday night? Well, do you think the building would fall down? Maybe we never play chess on Saturday night. Yes, I know, and that's just what I mean. You're in a rut, darling. 
Oh, by the way, mm. are you free Tuesday evening? Tuesday, why? Well, there's something I think we should go to. Professor Schramm Kugloff is having a lecture at Columbia University. Professor Schramm who? Oh, well, you've heard of him. Schramm Kugloff, the famous psychoanalyst. Well, can you take me? Well, well honey, I don't think that well, Saturday now, night... Well, important. His topic is the critical phase of marriage. The what? The critical phase of marriage. Oh, sweetheart. I know how to avoid that phase. How? Like this. Oh, now, darling. Oh, baby, I'm just nuts about you. You know that, too, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> of course I do. I know you inside out. Susan says... Oh, hey, what Susan says? Susan says that one has an achromatic knowledge of one's husband. It's a... <laughs> darling, 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 you're biting my ear. <laughs> just love your ear. <laughs> She says the knowledge is at the same time conscious, unconscious, subconscious, pre-conscious, and even co-conscious. Yeah, well, where did Susan discover all this? Well, she's been analyzed for a year. Now, you've heard of Dr. Peter Wilson. He's a randless. Are you listening to what I'm saying? Oh, yes, dear. Of course I'm listening. Susan's real name is Dr. Peter Wilson. Oh, Tom. <laughs> Honey, I never discuss analysts on Saturday night. Now, you know... Now, who could that be calling at this hour? Well, I'll get it. No, no, I'll get it. Animal Rescue League. <laughs> oh, sorry, sorry, you have the wrong number. Oh, Tom. Oh, baby, I'm just too tired to talk to anybody tonight. Where's my drink? Right on the table where you left it. What's up there? Up where? Up in the ceiling where you're staring. Oh, no, nothing. I, I was just uh, thinking of something. What? Well, I meant to tell the maid to spray my bedroom. A mosquito kept me awake all night. Oh, now, darling, that's impossible. There are no mosquitoes in New York. Well, there was one last night. He must be commuting from Connecticut. <laughs> Connecticut. Now, why did you say Connecticut? Why? How do I know why? I just said I'll it. I'll tell you why. Because my mother lives there. <laughs> what? Unconscious association. It was unpleasant, so it reminded you of my mother. And it's because... Oh, for heaven's sake, dear, I wish you'd stop seeing Susan and her psychiatry. Now you're rubbing your chin again. What's the matter with your chin? There's nothing the matter with my chin. I was just thinking I won't shave tomorrow. My skin needs a day's rest. Sometimes I envy men with beards. Caveman complex. <laughs> oh, you little one-track mind you. <laughs> Baby, promise me something. What? Let's not leave the house all day tomorrow. Hmm? Mm. We'll cut off the phone and the bells. And barricade the doors. You know what you're doing, Tom? You're retreating, shoving yourself off from the world. Oh, look, I'm just trying to spend a day with my wife alone, un un uninterrupted, that's oh, all. That's what you're trying to do, huh? Mm -hmm. Tom, mm -hmm. can you meditate in a lift? Honey, you... <laughs> meditate in a what, dear? In a lift, you know, English for elevator. When you take the elevator up here to the apartment, can you meditate? Lavinia said she could. She could. Well, that's very interesting. Lavinia who? Well, one of the women in the play tonight, you remember? She said she could meditate in a lift. Oh, good heavens. Did Lavinia happen to mention what she'd do if she stepped into the lift and the elevator wasn't there? Oh, Tom. <laughs> now, Tom, be serious. I am being serious. Let's get some air in there, huh? Claustrophobia complex. Oh, no! <laughs> fine. Tarzan again. Did you say something there? You were sighing. I am not sighing, I'm inhaling. It's good for you, inhaling. I do it every night before I go to bed. Yes, I know. Well, what about Tuesday night, Tom? 
I'll inhale Tuesday night. <laughs> well, I don't mean that. You still haven't answered me about the lecture. Oh, no, no, honey, I can't do I can't. I have a session with my tax man Tuesday night. Well, then I guess I'll just have to go alone. Look, baby, you don't have to go at all, you know. I don't know why you're so wrapped up in all this nonsense. Now, Tom, a person needs an interest in life. You're gone all day, five days a week. What am I supposed to do with my time? Well, all right, my sweet, have fun, but don't wear yourself to a friend. But that's exactly what I want to do. What? Oh, well, don't be so surprised. You with your taxes and golf and your Dow Jones average. Look, I spend my time on them because I have to. But when I get home from the office, all I want to do is kick off my shoes and have a drink in peace. Now, you know this, dear. But I have no office to go to, so I have to do something else. Now, most marriages break up. Because in the evening, the husband comes home all worn out and there's the wife raring to go. <laughs> well, ours is a happy marriage, and I'll tell you why. Because by 6 p.m., I always manage to be just as worn out as you are, that's why. <laughs> oh, is that so? Yes, that's so. <laughs> and um, what makes you think of that on Saturday night? I don't work on Saturday, dear. <laughs> I know, darling. Oh, well, I'm sort of sleepy, though. Mm. Oh, so am I. And it's Saturday night. Yeah. Oh, say, I, I darn near forgot that, too. Hmm? Forgot what? Yeah, to wind the big clock. Oh. You know this clock has to be wound every Saturday night. Why? To keep it from stopping, that's why. Hey, 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 hey. What's the idea of the book? Oh, I just thought I'd curl up and read for a while. Read? But you've, you've never read on Saturday night before. No, but I'm going to tonight. Oh? For, for how long? Oh, not long, baby. <laughs> Only until you finish winding the clock. Thank you, Anne Southern and Robert Cummings. Now, don't you go away, you two. I want to talk to you. But right now, our darling Reynolds Metal Company has a word on what goes up the chimney Christmas Day. Well, Miss Bankhead, you might say that a lot of turkey can go up the chimney on Christmas Day. You see, ordinary roasting shrinks meat. That plump, beautiful bird you buy can actually lose pounds in the oven and lose flavor, too. What you want to do is roast your turkey in Reynolds wrap. This pure aluminum foil keeps in the juices. Your turkey is more tender, more succulent and there's more of it. Now, we want to make it easier for you to enjoy this real Christmas treat. So we've prepared very simple, clear instructions for roasting turkey in Reynolds Wrap. Send for these instructions, won't you? Just put your name and address on a postcard and send it to Turkey Department, Reynolds Metals Company, Louisville 1, Kentucky. We hope you get your Reynolds Wrap. Military needs limit the supply. But meanwhile, send right now for your turkey roasting instructions to Reynolds Metals Company, Louisville 1, Kentucky. And Southern, Robert Cummings, darling, come over here for chat, but just give me a moment to ring my chimes and say that this is NBC, the National Broadcasting Company. This is The Big Show, Act Two, and here is Tallulah Bankhead chatting with her guests, Anne Southern and Robert Cummings. And I want to congratulate you two, Anne and Bob, for your wonderful performances and your brilliant hit play, The Cocktail Party. 
Well, thank you, Tallulah. And I've enjoyed you on the stage, too. Uh-huh. <laughs> I especially enjoyed Rose Tattoo. <laughs> uh, darling, I was never in Rose Tattoo. That's why I enjoyed it. <laughs> now, what brought that on? Yeah, uh, well, Tallulah, you just said you enjoyed us in the cocktail party. I've got a flash for you. The cocktail party closed on Broadway last year. Oh, I am sorry, Bob. That's a shame. From what I heard you two do just now, it seemed like such a nice play. Oh, I'm sorry now, I didn't go to cocktail party. I didn't think you ever missed one. <laughs> now, just a minute, Buster. I haven't been to a cocktail party since the last time I went to one with you. And I promised you at the time I wouldn't go to another till you came back to New York. And I've been faithfully yours ever since. Tallulah. That's the play we're talking about, Faithfully Yours. Oh, wonderful play, Anne, with two lovely people in it. Have you seen it, darling? No, we're in it. Oh, you're in it? Oh, no wonder you haven't seen it. Uh, Shall we leave now, Anne? Oh, no, Bob, not till we get our check. You two had uh, coffee at rehearsal this morning. Your check is 20 cents. Ten cents for a couple of co- a cup of coffee? Why, on Theater Guild of the Air, it's only a nickel. And on the Milton Burrow show, they squirted at you for nothing. <laughs> oh, well, forget it, darling. You don't think I'd really let you pay for coffee, do you? <laughs> After all, you're my guest here. There is no charge for the coffee. <laughs> Cheapskate. <laughs> tell me, Anne, how is it uh, going with the play and you two co-starring in it? Darling, there's nothing like settling down to a long run with a friendly co-star... You make such lasting friendships. That's a friendship you'll never forget. I remember the last play I was in, Private Lives. I had such a wonderful leading man. Uh, what was his name again? Donald Cook. Uh, well, it doesn't matter. It'll come back to me. I only hope you and Bob are getting along as nicely as I always got along with my leading man. Oh, we get along fine, don't we, Bob? Oh, yes, yeah, she's a doll, Tallulah. <laughs> oh, come on now. You two don't have to hide anything from me. I know how things happen backstage. That first quarrel about who gets which dressing room. Oh, I gave Annie the best dressing room. After all, she's a woman, and a, and a very lovely woman at that, too. Well, thank you, Bobby. Oh, come on, Anne, come on. Did he really give you the best dressing room? Oh, sure, sure. He gave me the one with the heat in it. Heat? And all this nice weather we've been having? Nice weather. Hey, wait a minute. I never thought of that. Now, listen here, Bob Cummings. What do you mean by taking the best dressing room? Now we're getting somewhere. But, uh, <laughs> well, Dan, you wanted the one with the heat in it. I, I took the one with the sink. It was a question of heat or, or sink. Well, you certainly pulled a fast one on me. That's what I like, lasting friendships. <laughs> okay, I'll switch with you. I'll take the one with the heat. Oh, well, now that it's getting colder, you want the heat. Okay, we'll leave the dressing rooms as they are. Me, heat, you, sink. I what? Now the truth finally comes out. So that's what you think of me. Actors, aren't they wonderful? Well, I'm going to show you who's the star of my show. Your show? Well, I'll show you who's the star of my show. Oh, you will, will you? Well, I'll show you. Well, I'll show you before you show me. And this is known as show business. <laughs> he won't remember his name one hour after the show closes. Now, you listen to me, you. You uh, work. What's your name again? Robert Montgomery. What's yours? Betty Grable. <laughs> Robert Montgomery and Betty Grable, that's who was in the cocktail party. Uh, excuse me. Is this a private cocktail party or can anybody get in? Oh, come in, Archie. I want you to meet my two friends. Robert Montgomery and Betty, uh, uh, what was it again, darling? Betty what? Davis. Funny, I can never remember that name. <laughs> Look, uh, Tallulah, is them the two hambolas that was just acting in that dramatic sketch? Yeah, that's right, Ed. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Look, Tallulah, how about you and me taking that uh, faithful of yours and uh, 
Showing these bums what a couple of real bums can do, huh? I'm with you, I'm with you, I'm with you. Yeah. Hey, Mayor, put us in the mood, eh? Over to you, Professor. My husband's name is Harding, Thomas D. Harding. The D is for Dewey. His mother fought at Manila. <laughs> You've seen my husband's pictures all over town, in post offices, railway stations. He takes a very bad picture. It's really murder. And that's what he was wanted for when I first met him, murder. He started life all wrong. His parents sent him to an exclusive school for boys. It was called the New York State Reformatory. <laughs> it was pretty hard to get into a school like that. It was pretty hard to get out, too. That's where I met him. I'll never forget that lovely day. They would take him to the electric chair, and I promised him I'd wait for him. I said, I'm faithfully yours. That's how we got the title of this play, The Cocktail Party. <laughs> And then he was pardoned. They couldn't electrocute him. He was the wrong current. <laughs> he was AC. But my husband is a changed man now. My name is D.C. Harding. <laughs> what this creep here just told you is only partially true. When I first met her, she was a gin mill. That's a gun mall. Excuse me. <laughs> Gun well, anyway, I was walking up the street of this little town one day, and I was kind of thirsty. So I walked into this gun mile <laughs> to get a drink. That's a gin mill. You drink what you like, and I'll drink what I like. <laughs> and that's where I met her. A little bit after that, we both pulled a job, and we both got caught. They sent me up the river, but she was only a small operator, so... She was only up the creek. <laughs> well, we was married, and ever since, we were frightfully yours. <laughs> That's how we got the name of this play, Rose Tattoo. <laughs> now, every Saturday night, I take it to see a movie. As the play opens, it's Saturday night, and we have just come home from the movies. Well, that was some picture, wasn't it, honey? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, let me see. What was I going to do tonight? A detective think? story. What a movie. You think so? Stop biting my ear. <laughs> well, I'm hungry. <laughs> now, let me see. What was it I was going to do tonight? It's Saturday night. Oh, wasn't that a wonderful picture, detective story? All right, come clean. You're going to talk, or am I going to have to give you the third degree? Now, there you go again. Every time I take you to see a picture, you start acting like the picture. Stop biting my ear. Sorry. What happened when I took you to see Samson and Tallulah? <laughs> you went around the house cutting off me hair. Then I took you to see ten tall men. You tried to stretch me. <laughs> then I took you to see the naked and the dead. Now, cut it out. <laughs> Stop biting my ear. 
That's the third time I had to tell you. What? There's only one more red to go. <laughs> now, what was I gonna do tonight? Saturday night. Stop uh... biting those nails. What's it to you? They're my nails. <laughs> That's the trouble with you. You're as crazy as that detective in the picture. You ought to go and see a psychoanalyst. Oh, yeah? Why don't you go? I've been going to a psychoanalyst. Yeah? How you been making out with him? Oh, he's much better now. <laughs> He'll be out in a couple of months. Mm-hmm. Well, let me see. Saturday night. There's something I always do on Saturday night. Well, but... I got the picture picked out that we're going to see next Saturday night. Yeah, and which one? Uh, David and Bathsheba. That's the one. That's what I got to do. Take a bath. It's Saturday night. (laughs) Thank you, George Sanders. (laughs) I owe George a thank you from last week's show. And with Gardner on the program, this is the week to pay my debts to Sanders. And now, darlings, a singer, an RCA recording star whose records sell in the millions. Eddie Arnold was on the big show twice last season, but despite that, his records are still selling like hotcakes. <laughs> so, Meredith, if you'll supply the butter and syrup for our Tennessee plowboy, we'll have a stack of somebody's been beating my time. Now, give it a great big symphonic introduction. If you, if you Somebody's been beating my time Getting all those hugs and kisses That I used to get from you Somebody's been beating my time Tell me how he's gonna feel When he finds your love ain't real and true Is your love just like a light That you turn off and on If it is, I'll have to stay here in the dark alone. Somebody's been beating my time, getting all those hugs and kisses that I used to get from you. Somebody's been beating my time Getting all those hugs and kisses That I used to get from you Somebody's been beating my time Tell me how he's gonna feel When he finds your love ain't real and true Is your love just like a light Did you turn off and on? If it is, I'll have to stay here in the dark alone. Somebody then need my time. Getting all those hugs and kisses that I used to get from you. Sung like a true southern gentleman. Come here, sugar. Tell me all the news from down south. 
What's been going on in our country, honey? Well, ma'am, the latest I heard was that Richmond had fallen. Richmond? I don't believe it. That's just northern propaganda. You may be right, ma'am. I'll grant you that. You what? Don't you dare use that name around here. Now tell me, Eddie, how'd you get all the way up here to Radio City through the blockade? Well, I took the 8th Avenue subway. Ah. <laughs> That's real smart, boy, using the underground. Well, not too smart. The underground costs 10 cents now. 10 cents. You know, that's about $200 in Confederate money. Down, boy. Somebody's coming down the bend. Yeah? He must be a union officer. How do you know that? He's cutting through the orchestra. <laughs> Whoa. Good evening, ma'am, sir. Captain Robert Cummings, USFRL. Yes? B H T E C A U M. Yes. T V A O P S O P A H O L C W P A N R A. Good. Now try the other eye. <laughs> Sir, present your credentials. Major Eddie Arnold, RCA. RCA? Oh, a rebel Confederate army. And, uh, <laughs> and you, ma'am? Tallulah Bankhead. Yeah, man. First class. <laughs> That's your man. You said your way, I said my way. <laughs> whoa, whoa, they're enamel. Enamel? Why do you call your horse enamel? Because he's my old paint. <laughs> well, the horse likes that one. Oh, what a beauty, what a figure. I never saw such a beautiful shape in all my life. Get your hands off of my guitar. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, Major Arnold. That's all right, Major Cummings. Uh, not at all, Colonel Arnold. You're a fine officer, Colonel Cummings. Thank you, General Eddie Arnold. It was my pleasure, General Robert Cummings. Uh, what are you going to do after the war, General? Oh, I don't know. What are you going to do, General? Why don't you come right out and say it? You're going to do what all generals do, run for president. <laughs> uh, thank you, ma'am, but I'm not running. I'm going to sing. Really? Well, that's as neat a way to get into a music cue as I can think of. How about hearing you do our own Meredith Wilson's Christmas song, it's beginning to look like Christmas. Colonel Wilson, it's your song. How about wrapping it up in a beautiful Christmas package, if you please, darling. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. Everywhere you go, take a look in the five and ten. Glistening once again With candy canes and silver lanes aglow It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas Toys in every store But the prettiest sight to see Is the holly that will be On your own front door A pair of hop-along boots and a pistol That shoots is the wish of Barney and Ben Bowser will talk and we'll go for a walk It's the hope of Genesis Ben and mom and dad can hardly wait for school to start again. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. Everywhere you go. Now there's a tree in the Grand Hotel. One in the park as well. The sturdy kind that doesn't mind the snow. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. Soon the bells will start And 
the thing that will make them ring Is the carol that you sing right within your heart Hop-along boots and a pistol that shoots It's a wish of Barney and Ben Dolls that'll talk and'll go for a walk It's a hope of Jonathan Jet And Mom, Mom and Dad can hardly wait For school to start again <laughs> It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas Soon the bells will start And the thing that will make them ring Is the carol that you sing right with me Good going, Bob Cummings. And Meredith, you've written another hit, I'm sure. Hey, Delola. Yes, Archie. Look, everybody else is doing it. How about me tripping the light fantastic on this program? <laughs> what do you mean? What I said, I'd like to sing a song. Well, that'll be fantastic. <laughs> I'm sorry, Archie. Only singers are allowed to sing on this show. What about George Sanders? I heard him sing last week. Oh, but that's different. He writes his own songs. Well, who don't? You mean you write songs? Like Rogers and Hamaker. <laughs> I got the song right here. I'd like to sing it. Nothing doing, Archie. Nothing doing? Okay, forget it. <laughs> I thought you and me might sing it together You're going to sing that song on this program and like it But you just said that you can't sing Don't tell me what I said Who pays any attention to me? We are singing a duet The hard way <laughs> Okay, uh, why don't you go and warm up While I talk it over with Meredith Wilson Warm up? Yeah, you know, like them ballet dancers do They put one foot up on a rail and hang from there uh, <laughs> Why don't you put your throat up? <laughs> Uh, hey, Meredith. Meredith, uh, come here oh, a minute. You calling me uh, Meredith Wilson? That's you, eh? <laughs> Look, Meredith, I got a song I wrote uh, called Leave Us Face It, We're in Love. Uh, how about you and the orchestra playing it for Bankhead and I, huh? Well, uh, we'd be glad to. Okay, but first I got to go over the rules with you now. Now, the first thing, everybody starts to get it, see? No fair head start From there on, okay Okay Now, uh, what key do you want to play then? Oh, make it easy on yourself uh, Will you take Tallulah's key? Well, if she'll give it to me <laughs> All right uh, Now, how do you want it played? Allegro, andante, fortissimo, pianissimo Yeah, I guess so Got any other colors? <laughs> hey, wait a minute, how about antipasto? <laughs> antipasto? What's that? Don't be playing dumb. What are you trying to do? Get out of playing it because it ain't your song? No, no, I want to play it. Okay, then play it. All right, Tallulah, I got it all straight now. Now, ready? On your mark. Get set. Put your foot back in the line there. <laughs> That's it. Go. I stand here at good old Duffy's What do you eat me to eat? Me red corpse suckles racing 
I'll wait for you, me sweet. In me hand is a diamond unfurled. We should holler it out to the world. Leave us no longer pretend that you are merely a friend. Why, it is wrote in the stars above. Though we have tried to act cold, suddenly low and get hold, leave us faces, we're in love. Leave us not blush with no shame, if people bandage our name. Shoes and old rice are worth dreaming of. Stories like in heart to eyes Could win the puts of a prize <laughs> Leave us faces We're in love Some other life we was once man and wife And an old friend chapeau we was making now mine love for thine, just as thine love for mine Has been reincarcerated <laughs> So I proudly both at your feet Don't leave me life incomplete I'm like a turtle without a dove Love light ain't meant to be hid no, 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 perish, forbid, leave us faces, we're in love. Thank you, darling. I was divine. Now, it's almost time for the third act of our show. But before we bring on Hildegard and Jean Carroll, I want to take a moment here to ring my silver anniversary chimes. This is NBC, N the National B Broadcasting C Company.
This is The Big Show, Act 3. This portion brought to you by Dentine, the gum with breathtaking flavor, and Beeman's Pepsin, the gum that's great to chew and good for your digestion, too. By Chesterfield. Sound off for Chesterfield. Get something new, something no other cigarette has. Chesterfield mildness plus no unpleasant aftertaste. And by Anison for fast relief from pain of headache, neuritis, and neuralgia. Before we go back to Tallulah, here's something of interest to you. For breathless moments, for your breathless moments. Chew dentine, the gum with <gasps> breathtaking flavor. Dentine tastes so good. Dentine freshens your breath. Dentine helps keep your teeth sparkling clean and white. Dentine, the gum with <gasps> breathtaking flavor. Before you go out and always after eating, drinking, smoking, refresh your breath with dentine. You'll love dentine chewing gum, for dentine has a wonderful tingling, nippy flavor that lingers on and on. It's delicious. And remember, dentine helps keep your teeth white, too. Keep dentine handy. You'll enjoy refreshing your breath when you chew dentine. So, for breathless moments, for your breathless moments, chew dentine, the gum with <gasps> breathtaking flavor. And here again is Tallulah Bankhead. Well, darlings, another high spot on the big show. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, that music you hear can only usher in one of the most colorful names in the entertainment business. Not only is she the pet of the smart nightclubs of the large metropolitan cities, but she can also bring the glamour and sophistication of the nightclub into the smaller cities and towns of the nation, which is proved by the fact that she returns here after playing her one-woman show in concerts in 78 cities throughout the country. I refer, of course, to the incomparable Hildegard. For her selection on the big show this week, Hildegard sings a South, a South African song, which she found in England. All will come right. Meredith, play your best for the lovely lady, if you please. <laughs> when things go wrong and the day turns to night, just say, alles soll recht kommen, it will all come right. There may be troubles with no friend in sight. I'll remember that old saying, it will all come right. Thunder may strike, there'll be no place to hide. Changing winds change the turn of every time. There may be sorrows with no hope in sight. I'll remember that old saying, it will all come right. When I was 
young and things went wrong. My mother taught me to be strong. Chase all cares and foolish fears aside. Remember shadows pass away. A silver lining brings the day. Lift your heart to say When things go wrong And the day turns to night Just say Alles soll recht kommen It will all come right There may be trouble with no friend in sight I'll remember that old saying It will all come right Thunder may strike There'll be no place to hide Changing winds change The turn of every tide Days may be weary and hope may be slight I'll remember that old saying It will all come right Alles soll recht kommen It will come right Alles it surely will come right. Bravo, Hildegard, bravo, darling. You're really incomparable. Oh, I'm so glad you were able to come on my show. Tallulah, I'm only too happy to be here. I was so happy to hear that you were doing a radio show. And I was so happy to hear that you were doing anything. <laughs> and what have you been doing, darling? Well, I just concluded a concert tour of 78 cities, my dear. Yes, with your act, you have to keep moving, don't you, Pet? <laughs> Well, with this show, I stay in one place all the time. Yes, you're not going anywhere, are you? <laughs> oh, I might do worse. Oh, you have. I have never <laughs> done worse. I mean, I... <laughs> what was that question again? <laughs> I, I only meant I remember the first time you broke into radio, my dear. You appeared on my show. Oh, yes, I have done worse. <laughs> now, what were you saying about this little one-night junket you just concluded in? Oh, it wasn't all just one-night stands, my dear. As a matter of fact, I received many honors while I was on the road. Uh oh For instance, in Fargo, North Dakota, I was voted the Potato Queen. Oh, really? <laughs> and you're still wearing the sack, I see. <laughs> oh, it's all right. I forgive you, Tallulah. Uh, is that the kind of jokes you do on your cute little show? Little show? This is the biggest show on radio now, and a half. Isn't that terrible? Everybody else does a half a show hour. Everybody else does a show in a half an hour. <laughs> and you! <laughs> you! Oh, we messed that up beautifully. 
Shall I start again? Wait, let me start again. Isn't that terrible? Everybody else does a show in a half an hour. And you, dear Tallulah, they make you do a show for an hour and a half for the same money. It is nothing of the kind. Oh, poor Tallulah. Less money? Will you stop pitying me? I don't need your pity, darling. I have plenty of friends. They all pity me. (laughs) Still the same proud Tallulah. Honey, uh, if you need a little dress or a pair of shoes or some stockings to do your show with... Listen, I can do this show without shoes or stockings or a dress. (laughs) But in the patrol wagon... Sorry, darling. That's all right. Shall I start again? Yes, please, baby. (laughs) But but in the patrol wagon, it gets so cold. (laughs) You messed that up. Anyway, uh, friends of the radio audience, please listen to me. If you have something around the house that isn't doing anything, uh, besides your husband, (laughs) like a house dress, a blouse, or a kimono, or a coat, uh, please send it here, won't you? Please do. Address it to B-A-R-E, Bear, New York. <laughs> they all know who it's for. <laughs> Friends of the radio audience, if you have any old lilies around the house, send them to D-E-A-D, New York. They all know who it's for. Ah, <laughs> oh, Tallulah, you're bitter. After all, it was I who started you on radio. So what, darling? All right, I'll take the blame. Because on my program, you sang your first song. Nobody else would allow you to sing, but I let you sing. I had courage in those days. You've got more courage these days. <laughs> I even remember the song you sang on my show. It was out of my own repertoire, I'll Be Seeing You. I lent it to you. Well, you're not here because you want it back, are you? <laughs> oh, no, not in the condition it is in now. <laughs> well, I hope not, because I made a recording of that song, darling. Have you heard it? Yes, I have. I've kept that song alive, Hildegard. Would have been better dead off, darling. Oh, what do you know about singing anyway? I'm from Milwaukee and I ought to know. Well, why don't you go back where you came from, darling? (laughs) Well, I can't right now, Tallulah. I'm opening here in New York Tuesday night at the Hotel Pierre. Will you see me? I never could, darling. (laughs) Still the same old Tallulah. Watch your adjectives, Hildegard. I want to straighten you out on a couple of things, sweetie, so stick around for later on in the show. But right now, here comes Bing Crosby and Bob Hope with a good angle on Christmas shopping. At Christmas time and all the year, it's just a field that brings good cheer with mildness and a better taste. And no one pleasant aftertaste. Sound of Chesterfield. Sound of Chesterfield. A Christmas card cotton of milder Chesterfield. That's right. That was the Bing Crosby Quartet you just heard, folks. Dancer, Prancer, Blitzen, and Crosby. And this is Bob Chesterfield Hope reminding you that Christmas is just around the corner, and so is your friendly Chesterfield dealer with a complete line of Christmas gifts, including bright Chesterfield Christmas card cartons. Now, that's the perfect gift for any smoker, isn't it? A carton or two of Chesterfields with that Chesterfield mildness plus no unpleasant aftertaste. So for your friends this Christmas, for your own smoking pleasure all year round, Take a tip from Bing and me and... Sound off, sound off, a Christmas card cotton of milder Chesterfield. That's right! And our darlings on the show this week is another great nightclub entertainer. 
But her fault is comedy. She has also appeared in all the better vaudeville houses around the country. She has some hilarious comments on the American scene, from a woman's viewpoint, of course. Here she is, the personable Jean Carroll. Uh, just a minute, darling. Isn't it uh, warm enough for you in here? Do you have to wear that mink coat? Why, certainly. How else will anyone know I've got one? <laughs> well, it is beautiful, darling. How much did that cost? Oh, $5,000. Is that with the tax, or did you get it in Washington? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm so excited. Isn't it a beautiful coat, though? And you know, my husband gave it to me. It's a surprise. He didn't know I was getting it. Oh, my husband. You should see him. I should see him. You know, <laughs> my husband, nobody can understand what I saw in him. I married him for one reason. He asked me. But, but let me... <laughs> oh, no, really, he's a wonderful fellow. He's reserved, quiet. He's so quiet, I collected life insurance on him twice already. <laughs> and then... I'd like to give you an idea of some of the conversations. My mother said, marry him, he's a nice fella, he doesn't drink, he doesn't smoke. She didn't tell him he doesn't talk either. I mean, <laughs> these are the intellectual comments. I say, honey, how do you feel? He says, ah. <laughs> I say, how are things at the office? <laughs> well, does the deal look like it's gonna come off? Ho, ho. <laughs> I mean, that's very intelligent. Eh, meh, ho, ho, he. <laughs> You're laughing. I don't mind him talking like that. What bothers me is I'm beginning to understand him now. <laughs> oh, but let me describe him to you. Handsome, he isn't. <laughs> but he has a certain nothing in his own way. Now, really, like, you just have to know and appreciate somebody else. Like, like he weighs... <laughs> well, he weighs uh, 360 pounds. Uh, no, no, that sounds like a lot, but not for him. He can carry it. He's five feet tall. <laughs> you know the thing that impressed me? I like a man with pride, and he has pride. He is the proudest man I've ever known. The first time I met him was in the country. He was standing up on a hill. His hair was blowing in the breeze, and he was too proud to run after it. <laughs> Is he smart? Oh, boy, I wish I had his head. I'd put it on a stick and wash windows with it. <laughs> I want you to know that my husband, for a young fella, did very well. Really, he was a very successful businessman for a long time. And then he got wiped out in the crash of 29. It was unfortunate. A stockholder jumped out the window, landed on his pushcart. <laughs> Shrewd? Say he is shrewd. I'll just give you an idea how shrewd this fella is. Right now, he's studying electronics under the GI Bill of Rights. You, you don't think that's shrewd? Listen, he was never in the army. <laughs> and my husband, I mean, he's really, I shouldn't talk about him because he, he can't help himself. I don't want you to think that he's stingy. It's just that he has low pockets and short arms. And, and you know... times when he can be so considerate. Like the other night, he came home. It was novelty night. So he came home. <laughs> he said, honey, you've been cooped up long enough. I live in a coop. He said, you know, <laughs> he said, every married couple needs a vacation from each other. So you go away. And 
I mean, really, it was a wonderful thought, isn't it? He was so good to me. He gave me a beautiful going-away present. He gave me a matching set of luggage, three shopping bags. You see... <laughs> an ad in the newspaper just what I wanted there was a hotel advertised and it said 40 minutes from New York by plane I said honey that's for me 40 minutes by plane but my husband thinks of everything he said oh honey why do you want to go by plane you got to go to all that trouble first you got to ride out the airport then you got to weigh your baggage you're liable to get air sick who needs that bother this way you jump on a bus 14 hours later you're there I said, gosh, you know, honey, I never thought of it that way before. And before I had time to think of it any other way, he had me packed and on the bus. <laughs> oh, but I, it wasn't bad. I mean, really, I didn't have a seat over the wheel. I stood all the way. And I want to tell you, when I got up there, I was very glad because service, you never saw such service in a hotel. You see, the bus station was four miles from the hotel, but the hotel took care of everything. They sent a bellboy over and he walked me back to the hotel. <laughs> Then he showed me up to my room. First thing he did, he threw open the window, let in some fresh mosquitoes. And you, you should have seen that room. Cross ventilation, a hole in the ceiling, a hole in the floor. <laughs> but there was a magnificent view, I know, because someone was staring through each hole. <laughs> oh, my bath wasn't bad, though. I only had to share it with one other floor. And I wish... <laughs> You shouldn't have got a you should have, you shouldn't have, you should have got a load of those athletic facilities. You know how they advertise all facilities. They had everything. They had uh, half a table for ping pong. I mean, that's if you want to play by yourself. It's convenient. And then they had swimming on the premises. Of course, the premises belong to the hotel across the road, though, you see. But they make arrangements. They're friendly arrangements. You sneak in. And, and you see... Then the rowing, they had a beautiful lake in one of the nearby states. But let me tell you... The thing they feature is food. You never ate such food in your life. Everybody dresses for dinner. You put on track shoes. And, and I... <laughs> I will never forget my first meal there. The waiter led me to a cozy little table for four and he introduced me to the 10 people sitting there. <laughs> and then dinner, they came out all very generous. They put a plate of turkey in front of me. Must have had at least a pound of meat on it. I know that's a lot, but not for 10 people. And believe me, I never had a chance. There was one fat woman sitting next to me. I never saw anything eat like that in my life. She looked like a vacuum cleaner with teeth. <laughs> and such manners. Listen, I've seen people eat with their fingers before, but soup? <laughs> well, after dinner, that's when you really live. You go to the ballroom to dance. Well, you don't dance, you stand and talk a little. And they have one, they have alternating jukeboxes. It's real nice. So I was standing there. And a very, um, the fella that, you know, the kind that takes giant steps walked in. <laughs> Forty-foot chest, 66 waist, bedroom eyes, you know, a pillow under each one. And this, <laughs> this is the type of a guy that works fast. He has to, he hasn't got long to live. <laughs> Came over to me, he said, hello, beautiful. I said, hello, pear-shaped. <laughs> that didn't stop him. He said, honey... What do you say? You want to dance? Come away with me. I'll give you a chateau in France, a villa in Italy, a castle in Spain. It's very nice coming from a guy who lives in the furnished room. <laughs> he said, baby, you're for me. I'm for you. This is it. This is it. Don't fight it. I'm God's gift to women. I said, God's gift. You said, presents like you I could live without. What are you talking about? <laughs> he says, let's face it. This is bigger than both of us. This is it. I said, this is what? He says, don't mix me up. You're the first girl I talked to tonight. Don't confuse me. <laughs> 
He said, come on, honey, let's sit that, this out. I said, now look, you're married, aren't you? He said, well, I am, but I'll tell you the truth. I'm separated from my wife. Some separation. She was in the dining room. He was in the ballroom. Here with me. <laughs> well, that did it. I really began to appreciate my husband. I called him on the phone. I said, honey, I miss you. I love you. I miss you. I want to come home at once. Send me plane fare. You know, my husband... 14 hours later, I got off the bus in New York. <laughs> Every day you hear more and more about an incredibly fast way to relieve the pains of headache, neuritis, and neuralgia. It's Anacin, A-N-A-C-I-N. Now, the reason Anacin is so wonderfully fast-acting and effective is this. Anacin is like a doctor's prescription. That is, Anison contains not just one, but a combination of medically proven active ingredients in easy-to-take tablet form. Thousands of people have received envelopes containing Anison tablets from their own dentist or physician, and in this way discovered the incredibly fast relief Anison brings from pains of headache, neuritis, or neuralgia. So the next time a headache strikes, take Anison, A-N-A-C-I-N, Anison in handy boxes of 12 and 30, economical family-sized bottles of 50 and 100. Ask for Anison at any drug counter. Tallulah, I've been thinking about your unfortunate problem. How about working in a supper club? If you're suggesting I sell cigarettes, I just want you to know I already do that on this show. No, no, I mean as an entertainer, as an artist. I think you'd be wonderful. Oh, darling, who would hire me in a nightclub? <laughs> Nobody. But you could open your own nightclub. You'd be a big hit. <sighs> All your friends will come to see you opening night. Oh, you'll pack the place. Oh, Hildegard, there isn't a nightclub big enough to hold all my friends. Some of them will have to come the next night. <laughs> if they want to be sure to see you, they better come opening night. <laughs> all right, so my friends pack the place the first night. What happens to the rest of the engagement? Well, even if only your enemies show up, you can run for three months. <laughs> oh, this is a wonderful idea, Tallulah. You'll be my protege. I'll show you everything. All you have to do is walk out there and let Florin just copy me. Me? Copy you? I would rather go out there opening night and drop dead. <laughs> that is a wonderful idea for an actor, Lula. But what are you going to do the second night? Darling, after I've been dead three days, I'll still be a better act than anybody in the business. <laughs> well, let us see what it would be like to Lula. Come on, just imagine. It is opening night at your own supper club. Okay, Meredith, take us to 52nd Street. Okay, Miss Bankhead. It'll be the dancing beat on the avenue I'm taking you to 42nd Street. How do you like that? We're not even open yet, and the nightclub has moved ten blocks. <laughs> Good evening. Uh, good evening, sir. I'm the head waiter, Piero Clip. Uh, may I bid you adieu to our opening night? Oh, thank you. Thank you. I'd, I'd like a table for one. First, take off your shoes. You're messing up our new carpet. <laughs> Might have to return it tomorrow. Yeah. Oh, of course. Uh, now about the table. Yes, sir. I have one table left. I'll take it. It's table 20. I'll take it. Perhaps you didn't hear me. I said table 20. Two O decimal point O O. Oh, oh, yes, I get it. Uh, here's five dollars. Okay. Show this cheapskate at table five, and don't leave me catch you peeking around the pole. Maisie, check the man's coat. Check your hat here, sir. 
Oh, thank you. Here you are. Check your coat. Here you are. Check your shoes. Nothing doing. I thought I'd wear these. Well, okay. Don't get excited. Keep your shirt on. Well, thank heavens they let you wear something here. I thought I'd wear my shoes because I, I may want to dance. With who, may I ask? You're the only one who showed up here tonight. You want to check your car in here, too? Check my car in a nightclub? Well, why not? Tomorrow night will be a garage again. Well, well, you sure? Waiting for a table, no doubt? Yeah, I already have a table. Table number five. Must be some mistake. That table's already occupied by a cheapskate. Well, I'm stuck. Here's a dollar. Give me table number one. Sorry, our tables uh, start at table number five. Okay, here's the five. Thank you. Show this gentleman the table number ten. Uh, uh, I'll find it. Uh, which, which is table number ten? They're all table number ten. <laughs> wait, wait a minute. How am I to see the show that there's poles in front of every table? You think that's something? There's a pole in front of the stage, too. Have your picture taken, sir? Yeah, no, thank you. Ah, oh, come on, have your picture taken. I'll take you both for the price of one. What both? You and the pole. <laughs> no, thanks. Okay, show's about to start. How about some uh, Chesterfields? Or Chicklets? Anison? Anison for what? Well, you hear this new entertainer we got. <laughs> well, uh, well, who is it? I don't know, some guy named uh, Tallulah Bankhead. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Good evening. Good evening. Welcome, welcome. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Welcome to the Tallulah Cabana. <laughs> I'm so glad you showed up here tonight, and you'll be glad to know that this show has broken every record in nightclub business. This has never happened before. I want you to know we could have gotten for our opening night the great Jimmy Durante. We could have gotten Danny Kaye or Danny Thomas. But we were stubborn. So here she is. The incomparable Tallulah. Hello. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to the Tallulah Cabalia. Welcome one and one. <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you. Robert Montgomery, how are you? What a lovely girl is sitting with you. Oh, there's a lot of them around the room. And they're all poles. How sweet. <laughs> and now I will go to the piano and accompany myself as I sing a medley of the hit tunes which I have made famous. Give my regards to Broadway and never meet a Herald Square. You go to my head and you linger like a heartbeat. I'll be seeing you. In all the old familiar places <laughs> Give my regards to old Broadway And say that I'll be there along 
Thank you, thank you, thank you. I only want to say that any success I've had here tonight is due entirely to the insufferable, I mean, incomparable Hildegard, incomparable Hildegard. <laughs> Well, that's our show for this week, darling. Next week, our guests will be Jack Carson, Merv Griffin, Rosalind Russell, Phil Silvers, Sarah Vaughan, and others, and, of course, our very own Meredith Wilson and the Big Show Orchestra and Chorus. Until then, may the good Lord bless and keep you whether near or far away. And may you find that long away Golden day today, Meredith. May your troubles all be small ones and your fortune ten times ten. Ed? May the good Lord bless and keep you till we meet again. Hildegard. May you walk with sunlight shining. And a bluebird in every tree. May there be a silver lining back of every cloud you see, Bob. Fill your dreams with sweet tomorrows. Never mind what might have been, Jean. May the good Lord bless and keep you till we meet again eddie may you long recall each rainbow then you'll soon forget the rain may the warm and tender memories be the ones that will May the good Lord bless and keep you until we meet again. Godspeed to our armed forces everywhere. Good night, darlings. This portion of the big show has been brought to you by Dentine, the gum with breathtaking flavor, and Beeman's Pepsin, the gum that's great to chew and good for your digestion, too. By Chesterfield. Sound off for Chesterfield. Get something new, something no other cigarette has. Chesterfield, mildness plus no unpleasant aftertaste. And by Anison, for fast relief from pain of headache, neuritis, and neuralgia. The first half hour of the big show is presented by the makers of Reynolds Aluminum, the Reynolds Metals Company, who also bring you the Kate Smith Evening Hour on the NBC television network. 
The Big Show is produced and directed by T. Engelbach and written by Goodman Ace, Selma Diamond, George Foster, Mort Green, and Joel Murcott. The chorus is directed by Ray Charles. Special musical arrangements by Sidney Fine and Phil Moore. This is Ed Hurley saying good night. Enjoy mirth and music with Phil Harris and Alice Faye next on NBC. NBC.